Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Nice brisk fall morning. Don't you love the change of seasons? I love the fall. I love the winter, believe it or not. I do, I have to confess, as most of you cringe, I know. But uh, good morning, everybody. My name is Mike Kane. Pastor Ron asked me to fill in for him today, and I appreciate the opportunity. Um, I want to also say thank you to Ken and Karen Martin for giving that testimony. Uh, and I want to encourage you, if, if you don't know already, we always are going to try and have someone back there, whether it's myself or another life group leader, at the end of every service. Um, if you're not a part of a life group, I want to encourage you to join a life group. And if you can't seem to fit it into your schedule with the groups that are available, I want to encourage you uh, think about starting your own life group. It's a great way to meet people. It's a great way to connect, uh, to grow in your faith. So just want to encourage you, and thanks to Ken and Karen Martin. Uh, I also want to say, wasn't that awesome worship this morning? Yeah. Wasn't that awesome? I mean, Abisha, Dan, Don, Carmen, Kyle, and Cheryl, right? Weren't they great? Let's give them a round of applause. <clears throat> you know, as I was over there and as I was thinking, I could just feel the praises. The Bible says we enter his courts with praise. Amen? And it was just awesome. It was an awesome time this morning. So uh, we're going to continue our series this week on making a difference. And Pastor Ron last week talked about making a difference with prayer. And this week, I want to talk about making a difference by serving. And I also want to say thank you to, to Dan and Maricel Lapila for opening up their house and having the, the faith to start a life group and welcome others. And they are making a difference by serving. But I think a lot of people in our culture, in our day, think of serving as kind of, you know, it's kind of a, has a negative reaction. I know that when I, I'm in the uh, business of property management, and a lot of times I'll interview candidates for positions and tell them that, you know, we're all about customer service. And it never ceases to amaze me when I say we're about customer service, I don't always get the most positive reaction. You know, I think they, everybody thinks of serving and service as like beneath us. You know, it's something that somebody else does. How many of you have had a really good experience of customer service? Now, how many of you have had a really bad experience of customer service? <laughs> and how is it that we remember the bad times of customer service more than the good times of when we've had good customer service? Uh, so I'm going to talk about making a difference by serving. And first of all, I, I think it's not, you know, it's fairly easy to, to see that we live in a culture. If you look at the advertising, if you look at the commercials, if you look at billboards, you know, it's all about serving yourself or gratifying yourself, indulging yourself, watching out for number one. That's, that's the message of a lot of advertising, that we live in a culture where it's a me-first mentality, right? I mean, how many of you have, have drove here? How many of you drove here? Has anybody ever had the feeling like everybody's out to beat you? Wherever they're going, they're out to beat you. Doesn't matter where it is. They may not even be conscious of it but it seems like everybody's out to beat you. Um, 
but how many of you would consider yourself this morning a Christ follower? And now let me ask you this question. Don't answer, but think about it. What are some activities that you do on a daily basis that are directly related to following Christ? Think about that for a minute. Think about what Jesus did. Think about what you do. Now, a lot of us, thank God that you're here this morning, and a lot of us are faithful at coming to church every Sunday, and you're really committed. I mean, you're going to spend 90 minutes in church today. But think about this. Think about the times in, in Scripture, in the Bible, where Jesus specifically went to a place to sit and listen to somebody else talk about God. I can only think of one time. Does anybody remember? How old was he? He was 12, right? He was in the temple. And he was asking questions, and the elders were astonished at his wisdom. And he said, his parents came looking for him and said, where were you? Don't you know I'd be, I would be in my father's house? Didn't you know that? But that's the only time I can see where it was a close resemblance to what we do and to what many Christians, I think, think of themselves as Christ followers. Well, I am a faithful church attender. But that's not exactly what it meant to follow Christ. I had a meeting last week. Uh, we invited, if anyone still, I want the invitation is open. We had a meeting of all those interested in being part of the visitation ministry. Okay, it's where we go to homes, we go to hospitals, we go to we go to nursing homes, and we visit those who can't otherwise come to church. And I handed out a book um, called *The Volunteer Revolution* by Bill Hybels. Has anybody ever heard of that book? If you're interested, it is downstairs. I think we still have some copies at the Source Bookstore after service. But I handed out a book to all the volunteers, and I've been reading, and I've also been listening to that book on, on audio tape um, as I've been driving back and forth across Connecticut this week doing my job. Um, and it's really inspired me and kind of been a revelation, so to speak, as to really what it means to follow Christ. <clears throat> So I want to encourage you, if you're interested, you can download it. It's an audio book that you can download to your phone and listen to. Uh, again, we have it downstairs. I don't know how many copies we have. If we run out, just, uh, I would say if Brian's there, just take, you know, put your name down and we'll, we'll make an order. But the central message <clears throat> of that book was the fact that Jesus calls those who would follow him to a radical lifestyle change. And it's a lifestyle change of serving God and serving others. He said, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself. Not indulge yourself, but deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. He taught servanthood was the primary calling in our lives. If we're going to call ourselves Christ followers, there is no substitute there's no way of, of denying the fact that we're going to be serving. And we'll, we'll talk today about how we can make a difference in our serving. Let's look at the first scripture I want to look at is in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. Is it up there on the overhead? Can you see it? Ephesians 2.8. And it says, it says this, God saved you by his grace. Now some of you may be here this morning and say, God saved me. I didn't know I needed saving. 
Saving from what? Well, the truth is that every single person that's ever been born has sinned. We have all sinned. We have all sinned and we all missed the mark. And God's target, God's mark is perfect sinlessness. And no one ever has achieved that except one, and that's Jesus. And because we have all sinned, everyone is included in that category of sinners. And the wages or the payment for our sin is death. And that word literally means eternal separation from God. You may think, I'm not that bad. You may think, I'm just like everybody else. And the second part of that is true. Everyone has sinned. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all need to be saved from the penalty of our sin. And being saved means to be <clears throat> delivered from the penalties of judgment. The song Amazing Grace, how many of you know that song? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Was, it was grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace, my fears relieved. When we realize it's by God's grace, we understand that there's nothing in, in and of us that can, we can't save ourselves. It's by grace. Verse 8 says, God saved you by his grace. That's his unmerited favor towards you. Getting what we do not deserve. When you believed, when you heard the gospel, when you heard that Jesus died for you on a cross, shed his blood so that your sins could be forgiven, and not only that, but God raised him from the dead, when you believed, when you trusted, when you committed, and when you surrendered to him, God saved you by his grace. And it says you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. No one can point at what they've done, their works, their list of things that they think qualifies them to be accepted by God, no one can look at that. No one can boast. No one can brag because we can't take credit for it. It is a gift from God. It's something that we can't earn. And Paul, he summed up. He summed up his entire life mission in a simple statement. And it's not on the overhead, but I want, if you're taking notes, write this scripture down. It's found in Acts chapter 20, verse 21. He said, my whole life mission, I'm paraphrasing that, but basically he said, testifying to both Jews and Gentiles, and that means everyone, everyone, you're a, if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile, testifying to both Jews and Gentiles the necessity of repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As, a, as God's only way of salvation. That's the only way we can be saved. He gave his entire life towards preaching this simple message, repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as God's only way of salvation. 
And verse 9 says, Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so no one, no one can boast about it. None of us can boast about it. No one can brag. No one can puff out their chest and say, look what I did. The only ones that are accepted are those that will humbly recognize their need, bow their knee, and simply by faith put their trust in Christ to save them. That's God's way of salvation. And by the way, Paul, the same one who gave that testimony, testifying to Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles, the only way of salvation is repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, wrote this same letter to the Ephesians. He says, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Verse 10 says this, for we are God's masterpiece. <clears throat> we are God's masterpiece. How many of you think of yourself as a masterpiece? Or it says God's workmanship in another version. God's masterpiece. And what that word means is a unique creation created by God. A work of art, literally a work of art created by God. And it says he has created us anew in Christ Jesus. When we put our faith in Christ, when we repent from our sin and trust in Christ to save us, he gives us a new nature. He makes us new creatures in Christ. And that's really important because it says he's created us anew in Christ so... Everybody say, so. so. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. He created us to be new creatures so we can do the very things that he created us for us to do long ago. So salvation and even the things we do are all based on God's grace. It's all based on God's grace, his enabling power, his unmerited favor. It has nothing to do with what we've done. Even the things now, as believers, as followers of Christ, these things were planned by God for us to do long ago. So can I make a point, a simple point? <clears throat> we are saved to serve. How many of you know that? We are saved to serve. God's plan is to save us so that we can serve him and others. Look with me in John chapter 13. It says this. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. He knew. Jesus was operating in complete faith, complete trust. He had nothing to prove. He was completely secure. And verse 4 says this, So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. You see, at, in Jesus' time and day, it was, it, was the, it was a custom that anyone who came over someone's house, <clears throat> usually it was the lowest of the low servants, and their job was at, upon entry of the guests to wash the feet of those who came, because why did they need to have their feet washed? They didn't have nice shoes like we have. They had sandals, right? And the roads were dusty and dirty. And when they reclined at tables, they didn't have chairs. They were low tables. 
So oftentimes, their feet were close to the face of maybe the person they're sitting next to or, or reclining next to. So it was really important that their feet would be clean. And it says this. He began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. Let me ask you a question. What is the most, what is the humblest thing? What is the most menial task that you've ever done? Think about it for someone. Now, I'll be honest with you. I could change diapers all day long. I could. But to look on some, sometimes I can't even look at somebody else's feet. I can't even look at them. Just something about feet. It just grosses me out. I don't know what to say. But there are, there are, some, there are certain people, and, and I'm, I'm just going to give you a quick example. But can I, can I honor my wife for a minute? Can I honor my wife? Can I brag on my wife? Okay, can I? Thank you. Now, I'm going to be honest. My wife has two ladies that she is literally, she is a servant to. One is in her 80s, and one is younger than that. I'm not exactly how old she is. But one she's, she's known for over 20 years, and the other has been since we moved to Plainville, right? And my wife, on a regular basis, will go there and do some of the most, I don't even want to describe some of the things that she will do to serve those ladies because they're, one is not by, by herself, but one is handicapped. One has a, she had a, a brain tumor and she has a, a, a limitation in her, in her movement. She's in a wheelchair. And my wife, and I said last night that she actually has trimmed the nails of that person. And I thought it was the toenails, and she corrected me. It was not quite the toenails. It was the fingernails, okay? But she's done a lot of things to those two ladies, and I won't mention their name. And she doesn't even want me to tell you about this. In fact, there's a few people that even know these ladies, that know she cares for these. My wife has the gift of helping others. There's no doubt about it. And it inspires me. She does things for, for those ladies that I couldn't do. And when Jesus said, when he gave us an example, he gave us this as an example. He, washed, he wanted to make sure we understood what he expected us to do as followers of Christ. In John chapter 13, let's look at verse 12. It says this. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? Verse 13, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right. And he was. He was the one who taught them. And Lord is a reference to master and a master-servant relationship. So it was absolute truth. He was teacher. He was the one who taught them, the one who advised them, the one who instructed them. And he was their Lord. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. He was giving them an example. Now, there are a lot of churches, and I'm not faulting them, but they'll actually have foot-washing services. Have you ever been, anybody ever been to a foot-washing service? Okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But the broader picture here is this is an example. Not that that's the only thing we do for each other, because as my wife 
as points out all the time, she does a lot of things that I would even consider even humbler than washing someone's feet. But he gave this as an example. He says, do as I have done to you. So if we're going to legitimately call ourselves followers of Christ, many people raise their hand, I'm a follower of Christ. There's no doubt about it. We need to obey him. If we're going to call him Lord, we're going to have to obey what he's telling us to do. Verse 16 says this, I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now in this sense, Christ's followers, his, his, his disciples, are referred to as slaves in the sense that we surrender to the will of our master. And, and if you're a follower of Christ, we, we need to surrender our will for his. <clears throat> and he says in verse 17, now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Now that you know, now that I've told you, you can't say no one ever told me. You can't say I didn't know. And all of us here this morning can't say we didn't know. Now that I have told you these things, it says God will bless you for doing them. And how many of you want to be blessed by God? I want to be blessed by God. And, and what he's talking about here is directly related to John 10.10 where he said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That life, those, the blessings that are, are, are referenced here are abundant peace, peace that passes understanding, joy, joy that we can't find anywhere else, and the assurance of eternal life. When we know that God is using us, when we know that we've been obedient to what he's called us to do, God will bless us for doing them. Look with me in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. It says this. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. But oh, aren't we tempted? Aren't we tempted? Has anyone besides me tried to impress anyone? Ever. Aren't we tempted? What do you think? What causes us to do that? Pride. Ego. Right? Wanting to, to lift ourselves up. Wanting, being concerned about what other people think about us. It says, don't be selfish. You have to train children not to be How many of you know you don't have to train kids to be selfish? <laughs> right? Right, Karen? You don't have to train them to be selfish. You have to train them not to be selfish. It says, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Is it normal to think of others as better than yourselves? No, it's not normal. It's not normal. It's radically different than what the world teaches us. And again, I want to use my wife as an example. But she ha we have six children, and our youngest happens to go to the bus stop every morning. And you didn't have to teach the kids this, but what they were doing consistently since bus uh, school started, was they would, <clears throat> as they get to the bus stop, as they see the bus coming, <clears throat> they all run to be first on the bus. Run, elbowing each other, get out of the way, pulling at each other. And my wife said, this is an opportunity to train Daniel, to train him. 
So she said one day, I want you to let everybody go first, and I want you to be last. So when he did it, the next day, everybody started running, and he stopped. And they all looked around like, like, what are you doing? Why aren't you competing with us? And they all actually stopped. They didn't, now they didn't, they didn't want to be first anymore. <laughs> I'm trying to be like Jesus, he said. I'm trying to be like Jesus. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. But this is radical transformation. This is radical thinking that requires a new nature that we only get when we're saved. God gives us that new nature to be able to follow and obey what he has called us to do. Verse 4 says this, don't look out, for, don't look out only for your own interests. That's natural. But take an interest in others, too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And this attitude, we're going to learn about it right here, verse 6. This is the attitude he had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He chose, he could have, he enjoyed this heavenly lifestyle with God his Father for all eternity. And our, our minds can't even fathom what that must have been like. But though he was God, though he was 100% God, he was fully God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He didn't hold on to it. <clears throat> he chose to be separated from it. Instead, he gave up, verse 7, instead he gave up his divine privileges. He gave them up. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. How many of you know he died between two criminals, right? One of those criminals looked at him and said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And what did he reply to him? Today you will be with me in paradise. Today. Faith. He called it. If you look that, you look that up today, that scripture. And he called Jesus Lord. That criminal that was promised eternal life called Jesus Lord. And he believed. And he was saved. And he died a criminal's death. He died between two criminals. And aren't you glad he did? Aren't you glad this morning that he died for you and for me? Because that's the only way we can be saved. And it says that's what his attitude. He, out of humility, chose to separate himself from heaven, from his heavenly father, from that eternal existence, from his heavenly father, come to earth, live amongst us, live a perfect life. He went to the cross. He endured brutality beyond we could even imagine. And he did it because he saw you and he saw me and he wanted us to be with him. That's the kind of humility, that's the attitude we are called to have the same attitude that Jesus had. Look with me in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. It says this. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. And this freedom is freedom from the law. We, yes, we're saved by grace, thank God. That means we don't have to keep the law because keeping the law couldn't make us right with God anyway. 
So you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. But don't we have to constantly resist that temptation? When we're, we, all, we all have time on our hands, we all have free time when we say, I deserve a break. You deserve a break today, right? You deserve a break today. But it says, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Serving one another in love. And you can do that right here at Faith Living Church. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Verse 14 says this, For the whole law can be summed up in one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, do to others, what's the golden rule? Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you do this, you have fulfilled all the law and the prophets. All that they wrote about in the, in, in the Old Testament can be fulfilled in this one saying, do unto others as you'd have them do to you. And verse 15 says this, but if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. <clears throat> now, do you think that actually means us eating one another, biting one another? Can I, can I just make a quick confession? Okay. How many of you have kids? Tell me if I'm the only one who's ever felt this. <clears throat> All my kids, when they've been young, and Daniel's still, he's eight, I still do it once in a while. I get this urge to just bite him on his shoulder, <laughs> to, just, to just nibble on him a little bit. I don't, I, I just, does anybody else feel like that once in a while with kids? I think it was the movie, uh, uh, It's a Wonderful Life, and I remember uh, the, the main character there grabbing his kids and saying, I could just eat you up. And, and don't you ever feel like that sometimes? I mean, I just love him so much. But that is not what this verse is talking about. If you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. What that means is, biting in the original Greek means to wound the soul. To wound the soul. And devouring means consuming the strength of body and mind by strong emotions. And how many of you ever felt like someone's devouring you, someone's biting you, someone's, right? And we do that in the church, and the, the imagery here is like, is like piranhas. You know what piranha is, right? Has anybody ever seen piranhas and how they attack and consume? And if we're not careful, if we're not keeping our eyes on Jesus, if we're not walking by the Spirit and love and serving one another, watch out, it says, beware of destroying one another. We can literally destroy each other by our words, by our attitudes, by our unforgiveness. So if you feel yourself, and, and how many of you feel tempted to talk about someone in a negative way, bite your tongue. Ask God to help you. Ask God to help you to hold your tongue. Because watch out, it says, we, we, we need to beware of destroying one another. Now, second point I want to make, we've talked about what it means to to serve, what it means to serve one another. And I got news for you. It's not the pastor's job. How many of you know that? It's not the pastor's job. What do you think Pastor Ron's job description is? What do you think it is? Study. Study. Teach us. There you go. There you go. It's to equip us. Let's look at, look at what it says here. Ephesians 4, verse 11, it says this. 
<clears throat> now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. Everybody say gifts. These are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. How many of you have ever thought of Pastor Ron and Susan as a gift? They are a gift. Now, I know he's probably going to come here all wrapped up in wrapping paper with a bow on his head next time, right? He is a gift. Absolutely. He's a gift. No question. And, and, and these words, you may not know what all these words mean. Apostles, it, what it means is someone sent forth with orders, like an administrator of an estate. Think of that. If, if you, uh, the probate court sometimes appoints administrators to settle the affairs of an estate based on the wishes of the person that is deceased, right? So an apostle is one sent forth with orders. We're going to talk about taking a spiritual gift assessment. I can tell you right now, I, I score highly in that. And I, just being honest, that's administration, apostleship. That's what I score highly on, myself personally. Prophets, one moved by the Spirit of God to solemnly declare what he has received by inspiration. How many of you know there are prophets? Prophets are still alive today. <clears throat> evangelist, one who declares the good news about Christ. How many of you can think of an evangelist? Big one, major one. And his son, we're, we're just Operation Christmas Child, right? That's Franklin Graham, Billy Graham, Billy Graham, right? Pastors, Pastor Ron, Pastor Susan, the presiding officer, manager, director of an assembly. And teachers are one who teaches the things of God. And verse 12 says, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. Their responsibility isn't to do the work of the church, is to equip you and me to do the work of the church. That's their job description. That's what pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, and apostles are called to do. And equip simply means to train or to prepare, provide the tools necessary to complete the task. And verse 13 says this, This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. And that word mature means complete and not lacking. Measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. This will continue, basically, until Christ himself comes back. And, and how many of you, I, I, I made the analogy last week in our, in our visitation ministry meeting that ministry, and don't take offense to this, is kind of like farming. Has anybody ever done any farming here? Has anybody ever worked on a farm? How many of you know that the work on a farm never ends, right? I worked on a farm when I was, at, when I was going to Yukon there. Milking starts at basically 3.30 in the morning. <clears throat> I had guys that I work with that work 17 hours a day every day on the farm. And the work never ends. And the truth is, this will continue. The equipping of the followers of Christ by the ones called as apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors. This will continue until we all reach such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. And basically that will take place when the Lord comes back measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. And if we follow this, if this scriptural example is followed, 
The ones equipping the pastors and the teachers, they get blessed because they see the fruit of their labor directly. They see God using the volunteers, the followers of Christ. And then the ones being equipped get blessed because they really see God using in in a real way, making a difference in their lives. But sadly, many churches are following this idea that it's the pastor's job to marry, to bury, to visit members, evangelize the community, raise money, pray for the sick, counsel people, do the announcements, stand at the back connections, that's afterward, take care of the babies in the nursery. Hello? But it's the pastor's job to equip us to do the work. Point number three. Just do it. Nike commercial, right? Just do it. Look, look at what it says, James 1.22. But don't just listen to God's word. And I just want to say real quick, listening to God's word is a really good idea. I mean, there's one thing to pray, but I'm telling, uh, excuse me, to read God's word. And it, the best is reading it while you're listening to it. There are so many apps. They're free. The Bible app, you can download it on your phone. And oftentimes, while I'm driving back and forth across Connecticut, I'll listen to God's word. It's a really good, how how does faith grow? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, right? So it's a really good idea. Don't just, but it says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Not hearers only, but doers of God's word. Otherwise, if you don't do what it says, you're only fooling yourselves. We're, we, could be, we could be deceiving ourselves into thinking we're Christ followers, by, but not doing what he says. If we're not doing what, what he says, then you can't call yourself legitimately a Christ follower. Fooling ourselves. We could be fooling ourselves. The proof, the evidence of following Christ is obeying his word. James 2.20 says this, How foolish! Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Faith, say it this way, faith without good deeds will not make a difference. Doesn't make a difference. We have to put action to what we believe. Genuine saving faith in Christ will always result in good deeds, which equals serving others. 1 Peter 4 says this in verse 7, the end of the world is coming soon. Now, we got an election coming up, okay? <laughs> I don't have to say much more than that, okay? This was written almost 2,000 years ago, and the Apostle Peter said, the end of the world is coming soon. Well, if it was coming soon then, it's coming even sooner now. And with the way things look on our political landscape, I'd say, amen, come Lord Jesus. <laughs> really. Um, But it says, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, because you know this, because you can see Jesus coming back. We talked about that, coming in the cloud. We sang about that tonight, today. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. And how many of you remember that awesome object lesson last week with Pastor Ron and the board and the fulcrum? Does anybody, was anybody remember that? Do you remember what the fulcrum was? It was the word of God. Our prayer to be effective, to make a difference, needs to be based on the word of God because when it isn't, it was that box, right? And when he stepped on it, it just crumbled. 
if we're just praying emotion and not without the knowledge of God's word. So that's a little aside, I know, but really important. That was an awesome object lesson. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers because the end of the world is coming soon. Verse 8, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. It says most important of all, even more important than prayer, believe it or not. Continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. And verse 9 says, cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to set, stay. And I just want to give a big shout out again to all you life group leaders. Thank you for opening up your home because you are putting into practice what it says here in God's word. Thank you. And it says cheerfully, not grudgingly, not as if it's a duty, but cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Verse 10 says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. And if you don't think you have a gift, you're wrong. I can tell you right now, if you're a follower of Christ, if you have been saved, if you know him as your personal Lord and Savior, you, God has a gift for you. And we're going to be talking about that in the coming weeks, about spiritual gift assessment. And, and another reason if you want to motivate you to want to join a life group is we're, I'm encouraging all the life group leaders to, to give, hand out the spiritual gift assessment to all of their uh, members in their life group. Um, but we'll be talking about more about that in the next few weeks. <clears throat> God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Some of you may not even realize it. You may have the gift of speaking. God may have given you the gift of speaking. Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? My wife. Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. And I want to just, if we could have that image up there of the first serve application. How many of you have seen this first serve application? I just want to quickly tell you that what this is all about is... Um, you, you, it's not a, a lifelong commitment. You may, you may want to experiment, okay? Trial and error. How many of you have ever started something and realized it wasn't for you? A ministry, okay? I can tell you it was, I did years ago, I did, not here, but I did soundboard years ago. I have, no, I have no talent whatsoever for sound, okay? So that was a bad idea, okay? But I tried it. Okay, my son, thank God, I got my sons up there. They're, they're in the tech ministry. They're, they're much more technically savvy than I am. But the first serve is, this gives you an opportunity to try a ministry. Try the nursery. Try Super Church. Try the youth group. Okay, if you don't like it, if it's not a fit, it gives you a no, uh, no strings attached opportunity just to say, I'm going to try something else. Okay, but... I want, I want to encourage you, and that's actually, if you look at your connection card, we're going to do that right now. Your connection card says, I will consider signing up for a first serve opportunity in one or more of the 20 plus ministries at FLC. Again, we'll be talking more about this in the next couple of weeks. But I want, I want to encourage each of you to take that challenge. Just check that off and consider signing up for a first serve ministry to, to serve 
in a ministry. And we also have, in the back there, we have some booklets that we made up. These are, gives you a quick description. There's, do you realize there's over 20 different ministries here at Faith Living Church? I never realized that, I really. I mean, it amazes me. It amazes me. And thank you to all the volunteers who made this service possible. But you, you can, if you want that, there's copies of this back there. I want to encourage you, take the challenge to sign up for a first serve uh, ministry. And the last point I want to make is your service is not in vain. Nothing you do for the Lord is in vain. Let's look at Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. It says this, So let's not get tired of doing what is good. Have you ever gotten tired? Have you ever got worn down? Have you ever got discouraged? At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing. Remember, Jesus said, you'll be blessed if you do this. We will reap that harvest, experiencing his presence and his power in our life, if we don't give up. So if you're in a ministry and you feel like, you feel like you're not making a difference, you feel like no one notices, has anybody ever... Let's, let me ask you this. Have you ever felt unappreciated? Right? Does that make you want to give up? Yeah? Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, verse 10 says, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith, especially to those within our church family. We need to do good. We need to be willing and looking for opportunity to do good to everyone. Hebrews 10.24 says this, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. What are some ways that you can think of to motivate somebody to acts of love and good work? Just shout them out. Encourage them. Say thank you. Spend time with them. Give, give your time to them. Okay. Sorry, I missed that one. One more time. Share experiences. There you go. Yes, thank you. Forgive them. Yes, interact with them. Talk to them, right? Send a card. How about, how about, does anybody use Facebook here? Anybody? How about sending a Facebook message? It says, let us think of ways to motivate one. They didn't have Facebook back when this was written, right? So this is a new way, right? So it gives you the, the liberty to think of new ways to motivate one another to acts of good love and good works. There's someone, someone was in a service last night, and I, I didn't mention his name, but I said, every time I am back there at a junior super church when I'm serving, I don't serve as much as I used to, but every time I'm back there and his child is in there, every time he says, thank you for serving. And, and that alone inspires me to keep going. That alone inspires me. Uh, let's look at one last verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says this. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Because of the hope we have in Christ, be strong and immovable. And you know what that literally means? Don't be easily offended. Do you remember the study? What did we have last couple weeks? Or Pastor Ron hammering it? You know, I exercise my conscience to be void of offense, the trigger stick. Remember that object lesson? 
So it says, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable, not easily offended. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Nothing you do for the Lord will not make a difference. It will always make a difference, the things you do for the Lord. It will always make a difference. <clears throat> I want to read to you a, a poem that uh, my wife and I, we, we led the nursery ministry for four years, from 2004 to 2008. And we had this poem up on the door of the nursery. And I want you to listen to the words. If you think what you do doesn't make a difference, listen to this. It says, my turn in the nursery. Last Sunday was my turn in the nursery to work. My heart wasn't in it, and my feelings were hurt. A child from its mother did not want to part, and it cried a lot with its broken heart. I prayed that soon the hour would end, then I could relax, no more children to tend. Soon the hour was over, it felt good to be free. I said, once a month is too much for me. That very next Sunday, as I sat in the pew, it was a very good sermon, but visitors were few. But a woman was there, and her soul was saved, and she was that mother of the crying babe. Then it dawned on me that I had been a part of one being saved, giving God their heart. From that day on, I never would dread working in the nursery while souls were being fed. Whatever you do for the Lord will make a difference. You may not see it immediately. And sometimes you may get tired of doing good and you might get discouraged. And somebody might even offend you. But don't give up. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We're going we're gonna to look at a, a video, a video, song video right now um, called Follow You. And I want you to listen to the words because I think it drives home this point. If we want to make a difference, we can do it by serving one another. Let's look at this video. Try. 
Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word to us. I thank you for this opportunity we have. And, Lord, I pray for each of us here and all those who might be listening online, Lord, that they would understand what it means to follow you, that we would understand to make a difference. Following you means serving each other. Humble service, Lord God. You you said that if we're going to follow you, we need to deny ourselves to take up our cross and to follow you. And Lord, I pray for each person listening that is saved, that is born again, that is a follower of Christ, that they would take this calling seriously. That they would deny themselves and stop the excuses we make for not serving, Lord. Forgive us. Help us to surrender to you completely, absolutely, as our Lord and Master. I pray for everyone here this morning, Lord God, that you would inspire them to recognize that each one has a gift, an individual gift that you have given them to serve each other, to serve the church. And I pray that they would fulfill uh, that plan for the, that you have for, for their life, Lord God. You called us to, you saved us by your grace and the works that we do are also by your grace, Lord God. Help us to be obedient to your call. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for listening. I want to encourage you to, if you're serious about it, sign up to, to, for a first serve opportunity. There's plenty of sign-up sheets in the back. There's ministry booklets if you have any questions about any ministry. Um, also, there's going to be people up here that are willing to pray. And I want to encourage you. We talked about being saved, being forgiven, and being a follower of Christ. If anyone has a question about that or isn't sure if they're saved, please come forward. We want to talk to you. We want to encourage you by, based on the Word of God. The rest of you, everybody, shake somebody's hand, hug their neck. Have a good day, everybody. God bless you. Take care.